on the new legislation, that went away. So what you get the benefit of is the following. You get this income tax-free, and yet you can deduct the expenses. In addition to that, what happens is if it's an S-Corp or basically a, a partnership, that money that came from the government can increase the basis of the shareholder, which may make them the ability for them to take that deduction. So was, the changes have been very beneficial for businesses. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different because I wanted to do an episode that would really go deep into the various tax changes that have occurred with respect to some programs that those of us in the hospitality industry and others have availed ourselves of. I want to go deep into the legislation that was signed the first week in January that pertains to an additional tranche of PPP loans and many significant and I believe beneficial changes that were made to programs that were already in existence. And I'm really honored to have as my guest someone that I've had the privilege of working with for over 20 years as my accountant, as well as a very important business advisor. He's one of the preeminent accountants, business advisors in the hospitality industry, and uh, someone that I'm really blessed to call a friend as well, and that's Don Villane. Don, thanks a lot for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you very much. And just to give everybody some background, Don is a partner in the accounting firm Vulcan Valane. He's got over 40 years experience uh, in the tax industry. He holds a master's degree in taxation from St. John's University and, you know, is somebody that has a, a tremendous amount of expertise in this industry. And I think the best thing for everybody, Don, if it's okay with you, is I'm just really excited to jump into the content here and really get into it so that we can create value. And by the way, for those of you that are listening, there's going to be a link in the show notes to our website, which is going to have a detailed written breakdown of all of the subjects that we discussed today. So if you don't want to take notes or you just want to listen and absorb it, go right ahead, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our website and you'll have everything broken down there. So Don, the first thing is this legislation was signed the first week in January by President Trump, and it was legislation that got a lot of attention in the news based upon was there going to be a $600 check given out to individuals or a $2,000 check. But within this legislation is an enormous amount of information and changes that I believe are very positive for businesses in general, and certainly for the hospitality industry, which is what I want to focus on in our interview. So my first question to you, or the first subject I want to discuss is, when PPP won, first came out, there were some rules and requirements associated with it. How have those rules and requirements been modified with the legislation that was just signed the first week in January for people who already received those loans and and what changes can they avail themselves of now that did not exist before? Okay, great. First, what happened was the first PPP one was from the CARES Act on March 27th of 2020. And basically, there was a PPP program, there was an idle program, and there was an employee retention credit. And at that time, you could not avail yourself 
of all three of them. You would have to do one or the other was the guidance that was initially assembled and delineated to everybody. Now what happens is what they tell you is, no, wait a minute, you can do that. The idol is a basically, I think the most important thing here is, and we're trying to focus on the PPP program, is a program that effectively the money can be forgiven. The idol is a loan. You can get up to $1,000 per worker for a maximum of 10000 that could be forgiven. Above that, it's a loan at 37 So I think the most important thing would probably for everybody would be maximize the PPP because it's forgiven. And then the other thing that the employee retention credit, which we can go into more detail later, was something you could not do at the same time you did this program. Now that changed also with the legislation. So let's let's hone in on that a second, Don. So with respect to what was in place in the original CARES Act, if a business availed themselves of a PPP loan, and let's say they received a loan, the loan is based or was based on two and a half times your payroll going back to 2019. If a company received a PPP loan under the original CARES Act, they were, as you just said, precluded from taking advantage of an employee retention tax credit. The change in the law, as I understand it, and this I think is incredibly significant for those of you that did take PPP loans and utilize them in the manner prescribed under the law and therefore have the opportunity to have them forgiven, it's my understanding, Don, that now, even if you took a PPP loan and it was forgiven, you can still avail yourself of an employee retention tax credit for 2020 of up to $5,000 per employee, provided that you don't double dip, by which they mean you cannot claim a credit for money that you paid employees with the PPP funds. Am I correct in that? And and could you go into a little detail on that? Because I think that's a huge change that could be very beneficial to businesses. Right. That's that's exactly correct. What happened is you cannot use the same you cannot use the PPP money to cover payroll that now you take an employee retention credit for. So as you had mentioned, when the when the loan first came out, it's two and a half times the payroll usually based on the annual payroll of two thousand and nineteen, up to a hundred thousand per employee. And you could include in that health care, mortgage interest. And other items, but your your payroll costs had they wanted to be sixty percent. So when the law first came in, it was like, okay, everyone has eight weeks to use this money, and then the rest of it can be used for certain other expenses. But at least sixty percent should go to payroll. So that's how we initially came down. But then, like you had said, there are changes to it that we can go through. So what I would say first off, and, and before I go any deeper into this, this podcast is for information purposes only. The reason I decided to do this interview and why I'm so grateful that Don agreed to speak with me is because when I spoke to many restaurants uh, that we do business with, some of them didn't avail themselves of a PPP loan, some didn't understand it, and I'm concerned that there may be a lack of understanding to this day, and I want to address that because the changes that have been made, and really this entire piece of legislation, is one that has, in my view, a great deal of, of, of positive things to offer those of us in the hospitality industry. So again, this is for informational purposes only. Please consult with your own tax specialist, attorneys, or whomever. To dovetail on what you just said, though, Don, because I think this is the important thing. Let's say I own a restaurant, and let's say just to use simple numbers, I received a $200,000 PPP loan in April. 
And over the course of 24 weeks, I utilized the funds in the manner required by the legislation to have the loan forgiven. Yet I stayed open for the remainder of 2020, and I had 10 employees on staff. And all 10 of those employees worked for me after the PPP loan was depleted. And they each, as I said, earned over $10,000. Am I correct in that now, based on the change that occurred, that business owner can claim a $5,000 employee retention tax credit per employee, whereas prior to this change, they would have been precluded from that. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, the way it worked out just time-wise, like you say, with the restaurant, what would end up happening is initially was an eight-week program, and then it went to 24 weeks. So just say, let's say time-wise, that someone would to go went in initially, got the money in April, and if you run 24 weeks, you would still have the ability to claim the employee retention credit at 5000 per worker, 50%, basically up to 50% of the payroll, 50% of the payroll up to 5000 you would probably be able to claim that for the fourth quarter, assuming you received your PPP money early in April or something like that. The other thing is that if you used it for your payroll sooner using the eight-week test, then, then you would have that ability for the employee retention credit for a little bit longer time. But as you had mentioned, that was limited to $5,000 for the entire year per worker. And that's a change. And that that wasn't available previously. Exactly. So so for those of you out there listening that obtained a PPP loan, utilized it in the manner prescribed, this is the first and a very significant change that is now law. You are now eligible to apply for the employee retention tax credit. That can be a substantial amount of money depending on how many employees you have. It's something you absolutely want to look into. It was not available before. It is available now. The second major change to the PPP loan that was contemplated and articulated in the CARES Act back in March, uh, it was actually never made clear whether or not those expenses that you paid with PPP funds would still be tax deductible. It was the position of the IRS and the Treasury Department under Mnuchin that, no, you could not deduct those expenses because if the loan was forgiven, it's tax-free income. But Congress always intended that business owners be able to utilize those funds in the manner prescribed and claim the tax deduction. It's my understanding, Don, that they clarified that controversy, if you will, in this legislation in a way that's beneficial for business owners. Can you please talk about that a little? Yes, two major things happened. Number one is that the money that you received remained uh, non-taxable. But previously, the IRS has actually issued revenue rulings where they state that you cannot deduct any of the expenses that were paid with the PPP money. Under the new legislation, that went away. So what you get the benefit of is the following. You get this income tax-free, and yet you can deduct the expenses. In addition to that, what happens is if it's an S-corp or a, basically a, a partnership, that money that came from the government can increase the basis of the shareholder, which may make them the ability for them to take that deduction. So it was, the changes have been very beneficial for businesses. So just for those of you out there, before we go forward to the next aspect of this legislation that I think is, is quite attractive, one, if you took a PPP loan in 2020, 
you need to explore whether or not you can avail yourself of an employee retention tax credit in 2020 because now that's allowed. And two, there were many businesses, and this was written about quite a bit, that were concerned that they were going to have a tax bill at the end of the year because the expenses, which are traditionally deductible, were not going to be allowed. And that has also changed. So depending on how you're organized, whether it's as an S-corp, a sole proprietorship, an LLC, a C-corp, whatever, please look into that because you can deduct those expenses and that can be a very attractive outcome uh, depending upon how you're situated. So now to jump forward into 2021 and back to the legislation that was signed. Yes, I'm sorry, Don, go ahead. There's one other quick thing that basically, uh, in order to qualify for the employee retention credit, which we'll go into a little more detail, initially that guideline, that changes, well, it had to be a 50% drop in receipts for one quarter, then no more than 80% for any additional quarter. But every restaurant that it basically, if any business was fully or partially suspended due to the government rule, they automatically would qualify for the employee retention credit. So that would be, it would be more difficult for certain businesses, but in the restaurant area, things are so bad, they would basically qualify for this. That's an excellent point, yeah, and which I neglected, and you're 100% right. If your business, and this pretty much accounts for any business in the New York, New Jersey area that was in the restaurant space, because they all were subject to shutdowns for a period of time, uh, that in and of itself is one of the two hurdles. Well, and it's not that you have to uh, achieve two hurdles. It's either you have to have been shut down, and Don's quite right. This uh, the hospitality industry, restaurants and, and bars and what have you would qualify for that, or the diminution in sales. Now, with the legislation that was signed the first week of this year, Don, let's go through it piece by piece. They're going to be issuing a second tranche of PPP loans. However, this time around, the requirements that you need to meet to qualify for that loan has changed. And there's a specific change that's tailored exactly for the hospitality industry, restaurant industry, I should say. Can you talk a little bit about those changes to PPP too? Yes. I mean, the biggest change probably for the restaurant, we had mentioned previously that PPP1, you could take two and a half times your annual payroll. Again, it's limited to 100000 per person. And you could get that money. Now, for PPP2, for restaurants, it's three and a half times. So what happens is you have an increase in the amount of money that you could get if you're in that space where that has gone up. I mean, a lot of the the requirements to get into PPP2-1, to get into PPP2, basically are very easy for businesses that restaurants to meet. And by that, I mean things are so bad that it's, that is easy. One of the requirements with PPP2, let's, we'll just call it two from now on. The requirements for two was a 25% reduction in gross receipts from the prior year. I, I don't see any restaurant that potentially could have done more than that. And basically, in the, you can use the 12 months of 2019 as your base or a rolling 12 months after that. So that would be, you know, that would be very easy to do. Now, the other key point, I think, is this. If Let's suppose that someone has not utilized all of their PPP-1 money. They can still apply for two under the premise that they will use or have used it. So if they intend to use it, that's fine. Now, that would probably only apply to people that may have gotten the money later, uh, and they would run through that. So I think that would be an important aspect as well. 
So I think for our for our industry, the hospitality industry, I think that those are the two main points. The first is there's a specific carve out for restaurants that enables them to get a loan that is equal to three and a half times their 2019 payroll. All other industries are limited to two and a half, which is great. The second requirement is that you have to demonstrate that you had a diminution in revenue of 25%, I believe, for any one quarter in 2020. Uh, The third requirement is you need to have less than 300 employees, okay? And the fourth and the fourth change is that the maximum loan amount that anyone can get, regardless of anything else, would be two million dollars. So these are changes to PPP one, but I would say in ninety nine times out of a hundred, or maybe nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, those changes will not have an adverse impact on the restaurant industry. If anything, they're going to be a positive. Now, with respect to again. PPP2 and and the legislation and how it's going to impact 2021. There was a change to the treatment of the employee retention tax credit. And again, I'm focused on 21 here, guys, not 2020. We already discussed 2020. Am I correct on in the following um, understanding that for 2021, provided again that you don't use PPP funds to pay for the payroll of your employees, let's assume that money is depleted, up through June 30. Any weeks that you pay your employees that you don't utilize the PPP funds for, you're eligible for another employee retention tax credit, only this time the amount is increased to $7,000 per quarter per employee, provided that that employee reaches a salary of at least $10,000 in the quarter. Is that correct? Correct. It's 70% of the payroll up to the $10,000, exactly. So what are your thoughts? Just I just want to take a break here for a minute and just sort of look at the macro here because you've been doing this a long time and you have a specialty in the hospitality industry. Just on a macro level, what are your thoughts on this legislation? Do you feel that this type of legislation is, is appropriately tailored to or cognizant of the needs of the hospitality industry? And just what are your thoughts about it in general? I think basically that there are a lot of uh, this program is very good for business in general, and then this change to three and a half times it would be much better for the restaurant business. And hopefully, you know, the vaccine gets out there and businesses can go forward in the future. So, I mean, basically, to get the employee retention credit for 2021, you need to have an 80. Your receipts have to be 80 percent or less than the same quarter, and again, from 2019. And again, I mean, I, I would be hard-pressed to find any restaurant that's doing more than 80% in this environment. So there are these programs that are based a little bit more on need, but as long as you meet that guideline, you can get the money. So potentially you're looking at getting your PPP money, the first one, getting a 5000 per person uh, if you used up, again, they're not the same funds, for possibly the fourth quarter of 2020, and then getting some of the money for either the first or the second quarter of 2021, depending on what you don't use in PPP. For the employee retention tax credit. Exactly. And one of the key elements here is that based on these changes, what you may want to do is hit the 60% for payroll and then try to maximize the 40% so that you can hit your forgiveness number sooner and then be able to use the employee retention credit for the maximum period of time. Now, um, 
One of the things that I was, you know, just sort of thinking about, because you're correct, I, I would say most restaurants, except for ones that were really tailored for takeout and and other sort of ability to adapt, will be able to hit these qualifications. But again, I want to underscore it's it's everyone's responsibility to consult with their own professionals and research this and make the determination. The purpose of this is to give everyone sort of the contours of what's available. Now, in my opinion, I think that this, first of all, I think these changes are very positive because one, they enable people to get the employee retention tax credit. Two, I think it's terrific that Congress clarified the matter of whether or not the expenses can be deducted. It's now unequivocal that they can be. There's another aspect to the legislation which got a lot of bad press and people sort of mocked it, but I actually think it's quite stimulative for the restaurant industry, particularly as things normalize, which is now businesses are able to claim, you know, beginning Jan 1, 2021, businesses can claim a 100% tax deduction on restaurant meals. Is that correct? Could you talk a little bit about that aspect of this legislation, Don? Sure. I mean, the media, to a degree, called it the, the three martini lunch rule, but that was more of a pejorative description of it. Really, what it allows is 100% write-off for all of 2021 and all of 2022. Now, obviously, it won't be good in 2021 until businesses can really have in-house dining and everything else. But I think that this may spur the, let's say, most of 2021, hopefully, and all of 2022, where a lot of people would be able to deduct you know, their full cost of the meal, which instead of a 50%, they would get 100%. So there should be some increased volume for the restaurants going forward. Can can businesses claim that deduction? Let's say that a business is having a meeting on site and they order up food from a restaurant. Can they claim the deduction in that circumstance? Yes. Okay. Yes. In other words, as long as the food comes from a restaurant or a catering hall, and the way they have this code, it's based on a 7200 code on your tax return. But what happens is a business, like if I ordered a lunch and was having an in-house meeting, as long as it came from a restaurant, I'm fine. I can deduct 100% of that. So for those of you out there that have a number of clients that get takeout from you that are businesses, you may just want to let them know. I'm sure that they know about this already, but you may want to let them know that that this change has occurred. I think it's a nice piece of soft marketing you can do, and I think it's a nice piece of content that you can give them. I also think that there's a general mood out there where people are really being supportive of small businesses and restaurants in general. So if you have a restaurant and you're located near businesses or you're located in an environment where corporate meals could be consumed either on-premises or off, it might not be a bad idea to put together a very attractive and simple piece of marketing where you could utilize social media or other forms of communication just to let these entities know that they're now able to claim 100% deductibility and why not order in their lunches for that meeting. And I, I assume the same would true because obviously there's more and more people working from home. Let's say that a company gives some of their employees a allowance of $300 per week or per month for lunches. If those employees order up from restaurants, they can also, they being the business, can also claim 100% tax deduction. Would that be correct? Yes. I mean, basically what would happen, there would be that as long as they spent the $300, they would be able to take the full deduction. 
Good. So this is, in my mind, as as Don says, I mean, it was really maligned in the media, but I think it was really portrayed in a very sort of simplistic manner because there's no question in my mind that as things normalize, businesses, and I'm talking about Wall Street advertising firms, you know, big companies that have substantial budgets allocated towards entertainment and entertaining clients or working with their own employees, this is something that I, I believe is attractive, and I think it has the potential to move the needle. So with respect to these changes and everything that's occurred, Don, what should businesses be doing now to sort of get ready? Uh, obviously, where are we at with PPP2 in terms of those funds being available? The legislation was signed. What's the next couple of steps before people can actually start applying for this loan? The SBA was basically given 10 days to advance some type of form to do this. Some of the banks had geared up to be ready. I think the government may take a little bit longer to do it. But I think the key element here is that this program has a finite amount of money, and it will probably run out of money. So what you want to do is be the first on the line to the extent possible. So in terms of doing your due diligence to be prepared, Basically, if you haven't received PPP-1, you want to apply now to get some money that you didn't previously get, previously received. If you did receive money under PPP-1, then under under 2 program, what you would want to do is basically get your ducks in a row, make sure that you know what your payroll cost is probably going to be based on more or less the same numbers, but now you have three and a half months uh, to, to receive those money those monies. And then what you would the restaurant should do is put together a cost breakdown of the other course that would qualify that previously did not qualify to be able to try to have 60% for payroll and then maybe 40% for non-payroll items. And again, as we had mentioned, to try to maximize the employee retention credit by not using the same money for both. So if you can use it faster, and then what happens is your employee retention credit can apply for a longer period of time. So we've basically gone through the main aspects of this legislation. And again, there's going to be a link in the show notes. So this gives you all something to really think about and make a decision if it's if it's right for your business and if it is right, how to proceed. But from my vantage point, I think, you know, I'm going to take my hats off to, to Congress f- for drafting this legislation because I think they resolved a number of issues that were were outstanding. There's absolutely a, a need on the part of the restaurant industry for more help out of Congress. No question about that. Speaker Pelosi was willing to sign, I, I forget the name of the act right now, but there was language included in legislation that she supported back in the summer, which would have offered the hospitality industry, I, I believe it was $125 billion geared specifically for it in the form of a grant. So I'm in no way saying that this should be a one and done. I think that this industry has really faced a number of enormous challenges, and, and I believe and I hope that Congress will do more. But I think as an initial first step, by and large, this is quite positive. Now, while I have you here, Don, uh, if you don't mind, I, I just have some other questions because this is something that I think would be extremely valuable uh, 
for my listeners. I know it's been valuable for me working with you through the years. So we have a discipline here at Wilco where every single month, uh, myself, my business partner, and, and Don go through our numbers. We go through the income statement. We go through expenses. And in earlier podcast interviews, I discussed how important it is for businesses to know their numbers and to really have that sort of habit where you're going to scrutinize them at least every month. In your opinion, Don, when businesses, and if you can tailor this to the restaurant industry, that would be great, what expenses or what aspects of their numbers do you think businesses need to be focused on and looking at on a very consistent basis to make sure that they avoid some challenges or, to put it more positively, uh, capture more margin? I think that, you know, basically restaurants, uh, as they would already know, is they would look at their food cost percentages uh, see what that what that runs and the liquor percentages, uh, just basically to see what their gross profit is on those areas, and obviously control the cost to the extent they can. But you know, in this environment, it's very difficult because the volume's down. But those would when I have done a number of restaurant clients, and we would always look at the food cost on a monthly basis to see what what that runs. So a lot of other businesses, the gross profit percentage, but here with restaurants, you want to see what the numbers are. It's true, but you know what I find interesting, and, and I think you'll agree, like a lot of times when we go through the numbers, we'll see a few line items jump out at us that are not really part of our core business, yet if we didn't attend to them or at least be mindful of what was going on, we could allow a problem of either just money being wasted or, or, or being deployed improperly to continue. So I think for sure restaurants are looking at food costs, labor costs, rent, all of that. But I think you really need to look at every expense that you have and have it broken down in the most granular manner possible. Because as Don says, quite rightly, now is a time where you really want to make sure that you're not wasting any money. Would you agree with me that this is something that needs to be done and should be done and really done in a sort of dialogue manner at least once a month? Because I believe it or not, a lot of restaurants do this quarterly. Some do it biannually and annually. I believe once a month is is the bare minimum. What are your thoughts? Well, I agree with that. And the other point to add is, I mean, there may be an ability to adjust the rent with their landlord if it's possible that they could go to them and maybe adjust the lease or something like that which would be a big factor in terms of their cost. So you know, you'll want to look at all your costs, but there might be a, a time here where you can get some reduction in the rent from a landlord, depending on what they would be willing to do, because it's, it's, I think it'll be a little while before everything comes back to normal. I think you're correct in that. I think the biggest challenge that the industry is facing, or one of the biggest challenges, is certainly there's, there, there's so many uh, headwinds coming at it, but I do think that now is a time, I think, for a lot of businesses to really scrutinize every aspect of how they do business. And I think for restaurants, and we're no different, and I think every business is really in the same situation to a certain extent right now. Now is a great time to really look at your costs, look at where you're spending money, and more importantly, perhaps, look at what your objectives are going into the next year and how you want to deploy capital to achieve them. So, for example, I'm a big believer in, in marketing and sales, provided that you're not just wasting money. You want to make sure that you're doing it smart, and you want to make sure that you're doing it in a targeted way. So as you go through your numbers, you may find that you're spending, you know, something that may seem like a small amount of money that you're wasting on something you don't need to waste it on. If you repurpose those monies in advertising or marketing, 
you could get a tremendous bang for your buck. You know, this has been a really helpful episode, Don, for myself, and I think so for the audience, and I would just sort of wrap it up like this. These programs are out there, so the first thing you want to do is understand that they're out there. Again, if you've availed yourself of some of them already, you want to review the changes. We're going to have uh, information, as I said, available. Uh, You can click on the link. But please reach out to your professionals, your advisors. And I would do so sooner rather than later because Don's 100% correct. There's a limited amount of funds available in PPP2. And if it's something that you want to avail yourself of, you want to have your questions and everything handled as soon as possible, right? I agree 100%. And then maybe maximize your employee retention credit would go a long way in keeping the business with a positive cash flow. Such a good point and, and you know, just a great way. Well, Don, I, I really thank you for taking the time to speak with me. This was really informative and I, I think we've done a lot of, I think we covered a lot of very helpful ground for this industry. And for those of you out there, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, check out the show notes and uh, Don, thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Best of luck to everyone. I really enjoyed that conversation with Don, and I hope that it provided value for you. At the very least, I wanted to make you aware of what programs and loans were out there and what changes had occurred so that at least you have a baseline for discussing it with your tax professional attorney or whomever else you use as a uh, business advisor. I want to thank everybody also for listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to me, the emails and the DMs that I get. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love it if you would uh, subscribe. And if you'd give a review, that would be fantastic. If you know other people who might enjoy this podcast, it would be great if you would recommend it to them. As always, you can email me at steven at wolcofoods.com. You can DM me at wolcofoods. And most importantly, everybody, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.